Section 1 of Journey from This World to the Next. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Dennis Sayers. A Journey from This World to the Next by Henry Fielding. Book One Introduction and Chapters One and Two. Whether the ensuing pages were really the dream or vision of some very pious and holy person, or whether they were really written in the other world and sent back to this, which is the opinion of many, though I think too much inclining to superstition, or lastly, whether as infinitely the greatest part imagine they were really the production of some choice inhabitant of new bethlehem is not necessary nor easy to determine it will be abundantly sufficient if i give the reader an account by what means they came into my possession mr robert powney stationer who dwells opposite to Catherine Street in the Strand, a very honest man and of great gravity of countenance, who, among other excellent stationary commodities, is particularly eminent for his pens, which I am abundantly bound to acknowledge, as I owe to their peculiar goodness that my manuscripts have by any means been legible. This gentleman, I say, furnished me some time since with a bundle of those pens wrapped up with great care and caution in a very large sheet of paper full of characters written as it seemed in a very bad hand now i have a surprising curiosity to read everything which is almost illegible partly perhaps from the sweet remembrance of the dear scrawls scrawls or scrails for the word is variously spelled which i have in my youth received from that lovely part of the creation for which i have the tenderest regard and partly from that temper of mind which makes men set an immense value on old manuscripts so effaced bustos so maimed and pictures so black that no one can tell what to make of them. I therefore perused this sheet with wonderful application, and in about a day's time discovered that I could not understand it. I immediately repaired to Mr. Powney, and inquired very eagerly whether he had not more of the same manuscript. He produced about one hundred pages, acquainting me that he had saved no more, but that the book was originally a huge folio, had been left in his garret by a gentleman who lodged there, and who had left him no other satisfaction for nine months' lodging. He proceeded to inform me that the manuscript had been hawked about, as he phrased it, among all the booksellers, who refused to meddle some alleged that they could not read others that they could not understand it 
some would haze it to be an atheistical book, and some that it was a libel on the government, for one or other of which reasons they all refused to print it, that it had been likewise shown to the R. L. Society, but they shook their heads, saying there was nothing in it wonderful enough for them. That, hearing the gentleman was gone to the West Indies, and believing it to be good for nothing else, he had used it as waste paper. He said, I was welcomed to what remained, and he was heartily sorry for what was missing, as I seemed to set some value on it. I desired him much to name a price, but he would receive no consideration farther than the payment of a small bill I owed him, which at that time he said he looked on as so much money given him. I presently communicated this manuscript to my friend Parson Abraham Adams, who, after a long and careful perusal, returned it me with his opinion that there was more in it than at first appeared, that the author seemed not entirely unacquainted with the writings of Plato, but he wished he had quoted him sometimes in his margin, that I might be sure, said he, he had read him in the original, for nothing, continued the parson, is commoner than for men nowadays to pretend to have read Greek authors, who have met with them only in translations, and cannot conjugate a verb in me. To deliver my own sentiments on the occasion, I think the author discovers a philosophical turn of thinking, with some little knowledge of the world, and no very inadequate value of it. There are some, indeed, who, from the vivacity of their temper and the happiness of their station, are willing to consider its blessings as more substantial, and the whole to be a scene of more consequence than it is here represented. But, without controverting their opinions at present, the number of wise and good men who have thought with our author are sufficient to keep him in countenance, nor can this be attended with any ill inference, since he everywhere teaches this moral, that the greatest and truest happiness which this world affords is to be found only in the possession of goodness and virtue, a doctrine which, as it is undoubtedly true, so hath it so noble and practical a tendency, that it can never be too often or too strongly inculcated on the minds of men. Book One, Chapter One The author dies, meets with Mercury, and is by him conducted to the stage which sets out for the other world. On the first day of December, 1741, I departed this life at my lodgings in Cheapside. Footnote. Some doubt whether this should not be rather 1641, which is a date more agreeable to the account given of it in the introduction, 
but then there are some passages which seem to relate to transactions infinitely later even within this year or two to say the truth there are difficulties attending either conjecture so the reader may take which he pleases End of footnote. my body had been some time dead before i was at liberty to quit it lest it should by any accident return to life this is an injunction imposed on all souls by the eternal law of fate to prevent the inconveniences which would follow as soon as the destined period was expired being no longer than till the body is become perfectly cold and stiff i began to move but found myself under a great difficulty of making my escape for the mouth or door was shut so that it was impossible for me to go out at it and the windows vulgarly called the eyes were so closely pulled down by the fingers of a nurse that i could by no means open them at last i perceived a beam of light glimmering at the top of the house for such i may call the body i had been enclosed in whither ascending i gently let myself down through a kind of chimney and issued out at the nostrils no prisoner discharged from a long confinement ever tasted the sweets of liberty with a more exquisite relish than i enjoyed in this delivery from a dungeon wherein i had been detained upwards of forty years and with much the same kind of regard i cast my eyes backwards upon it footnote eyes are not perhaps so properly adapted to a spiritual substance but we are here as in many other places obliged to use corporeal terms to make ourselves the better understood End of footnote. my friends and relations had all quitted the room being all as i plainly overheard very loudly quarrelling below stairs about my will there was only an old woman left above to guard the body as i apprehend she was in a fast sleep occasioned as from her savour it seemed by a comfortable dose of gin i had no pleasure in this company and therefore as the window was wide open i sallied forth into the open air but to my great astonishment found myself unable to fly which i had always during my habitation in the body conceived of spirits however i came so lightly to the ground that i did not hurt myself and though i had not the gift of flying owing probably to my having neither feathers nor wings i was capable of hopping such a prodigious way at once that it served my turn almost as well i had not hopped far before i perceived a tall young gentleman in a silk waistcoat with a wing on his left heel a garland on his head and a caduceus in his right hand footnote this is the dress in which the god appears to mortals at the theatres 
one of the offices attributed to this god by the ancients was to collect the ghosts as a shepherd doth a flock of sheep and drive them with his wand into the other world End of footnote. i thought i had seen this person before but had not time to recollect where when he called out to me and asked me how long i had been departed i answered i was just come forth you must not stay here replied he unless you had been murdered in which case indeed you might have been suffered to walk some time but if you died a natural death you must set out for the other world immediately i desired to know the way oh cried the gentleman i will show you to the inn whence the stage proceeds for i am the porter perhaps you never heard of me my name is mercury sure sir said i i have seen you at the playhouse upon which he smiled and without satisfying me as to that point walked directly forward bidding me hop after him i obeyed him and soon found myself in warwick lane where mercury making a full stop pointed at a particular house where he bade me inquire for the stage and wishing me a good journey took his leave saying he must go seek after other customers i arrived just as the coach was setting out and found i had no reason for inquiry for every person seemed to know my business the moment i appeared at the door the coachman told me his horses were two but that he had no place left however though there were already six the passengers offered to make room for me i thanked them and ascended without much ceremony we immediately began our journey being seven in number for as the women wore no hoops three of them were but equal to two men perhaps reader thou mayst be pleased with an account of this whole equipage as peradventure thou wilt not while alive see any such the coach was made by an eminent toyman who is well known to deal in immaterial substance that being the matter of which it was compounded the work was so extremely fine that it was entirely invisible to the human eye the horses which drew this extraordinary vehicle were all spiritual as well as the passengers they had indeed all died in the service of a certain postmaster and as for the coachman who was a very thin piece of immaterial substance he had the honour while alive of driving the great peter or peter the great in whose service his soul as well as body was almost starved to death such was the vehicle in which i set out and now those who are not willing to travel on with me may if they please stop here those who are must proceed to the subsequent chapters in which this journey is continued chapter two in which the author first refutes some idle opinions concerning spirits and then the passengers relate their several deaths
It is common opinion that spirits, like owls, can see in the dark, nay, and can then most easily be perceived by others, for which reason many persons of good understanding, to prevent being terrified with such objects, usually keep a candle burning by them, that the light may prevent their seeing. Mr. Locke, in direct opposition to this, hath not doubted to assert that you may see a spirit in open daylight, full as well as in the darkest night. It was very dark when we set out from the inn, nor could we see any more than if every soul of us had been alive. We had travelled a good way before any one offered to open his mouth. Indeed, most of the company were fast asleep. Footnote. Those who have read of the gods sleeping in Homer will not be surprised at this happening to spirits. End of footnote. But, as I could not close my own eyes, and perceived the spirit who sat opposite to me to be likewise awake, I began to make overtures of conversation, by complaining how dark it was. And extremely cold, too, answered my fellow-traveller, though I thank God, as I have no body, I feel no inconvenience from it. But you will believe, sir, that this frosty air must seem very sharp to one, just issued forth out of an oven, for such was the inflamed habitation I am lately departed from. How did you come to your end, sir? said I. I was murdered, sir, answered the gentleman. I am surprised, then, replied I, that you did not divert yourself by walking up and down, and playing some merry tricks with the murderer. Oh, sir, returned he, I had not that privilege. I was lawfully put to death. In short, a physician set me on fire, by giving me medicines to throw out my distemper. I died of a hot regimen, as they call it, in the smallpox. One of the spirits at that word started up and cried out, The smallpox! Bless me! I hope I am not in company with that distemper, which I have all my life with such caution avoided, and have so happily escaped hitherto. This fright set all the passengers, who were awake, into a loud laughter, and the gentleman, recollecting himself, with some confusion, and not without blushing, asked pardon, crying, I protest, I dreamed that I was alive. Perhaps, sir, said I, you died of that distemper, which therefore made so strong an impression on you. No, sir, answered he, I never had it in my life, but the continual and dreadful apprehension it kept me so long under cannot, I see, be so immediately eradicated. You must know, sir, I avoided coming to London for thirty years altogether, for fear of the smallpox, till the most urgent business brought me thither about five days ago. I was so dreadfully afraid of this disease, that I refused the second night of my arrival to sup with a friend 
whose wife had recovered of it several months before, and the same evening got a surfeit by eating too many mussels, which brought me into this good company. I will wager, cried the spirit who sat next to him, there is not one in the coach able to guess my distemper. I desired the favour of him to acquaint us with it, if it was so uncommon. Why, sir, said he, I died of honour. Of honour, sir, repeated I, with some surprise. Yes, sir, answered the spirit, of honour, for I was killed in a duel. For my part, said a fair spirit, I was inoculated last summer, and had the good fortune to escape with a very few marks on my face. I esteemed myself now perfectly happy, as I imagined I had no restraint to a full enjoyment of the diversions of the town. But within a few days after my coming up, I caught cold by over-dancing myself at a ball, and last night died of a violent fever. After a short silence which now ensued, the fair spirit who spoke last, it being now daylight, addressed herself to a female who sat next her, and asked her to what chance they owed the happiness of her company. She answered, she apprehended to a consumption, but the physicians were not agreed concerning her distemper, for she left two of them in a very hot dispute about it when she came out of her body. And pray, madam, said the same spirit to the sixth passenger, how came you to leave the other world? But that female spirit, screwing up her mouth, answered, she wondered at the curiosity of some people, that perhaps persons had already heard some report of her death, which were far from being true, that whatever was the occasion of it, she was glad at being delivered from a world in which she had no pleasure, and where there was nothing but nonsense and impertinence, particularly among her own sex, whose loose conduct she had long been entirely ashamed of. The beauteous spirit, perceiving her question gave offence, pursued it no farther. She had indeed all the sweetness and good humour, which are so extremely amiable, when found, in that sex which tenderness most exquisitely becomes. Her countenance displayed all the cheerfulness, the good nature, and the modesty which diffuse such brightness round the beauty of Seraphina. Footnote. A particular lady of quality is meant here, but every lady of quality, or no quality, are welcome to apply the character to themselves. End of footnote. Seraphina, eyeing every beholder with respect, and at the same time ravishing him with admiration. Had it not been indeed for our conversation on the smallpox, I should have imagined we had been honoured with her identical presence. This opinion 
might have been heightened by the good sense she uttered whenever she spoke, by the delicacy of her sentiments, and the complacence of her behaviour, together with a certain dignity which attended every look, word, and gesture, qualities which could not fail making an impression on a heart so capable of receiving it as mine. Footnote. We have before made an apology for this language, which we here repeat for the last time, though the heart may, we hope, be metaphorically used here with more propriety than when we apply those passions to the body which belong to the soul. End of footnote. Nor was she long in raising in me a very violent degree of seraphic love. I do not intend by this that sort of love which men are very properly said to make to women in the lower world, and which seldom lasts any longer than while it is making. I mean by seraphic love, an extreme delicacy and tenderness of friendship, of which my worthy reader, if thou hast no conception, as it is probable thou mayst not, my endeavour to instruct thee would be as fruitless as it would be to explain the most difficult problems of Sir Isaac Newton to one ignorant of vulgar arithmetic. To return, therefore, to matters comprehensible by all understandings, the discourse now turned on the vanity, folly, and misery of the lower world, from which every passenger in the coach expressed the highest satisfaction in being delivered, though it was very remarkable that, notwithstanding the joy we declared at our death, there was not one of us who did not mention the accident which occasioned it as a thing we would have avoided, if we could. Nay, the very grave lady herself, who was the forwardest in testifying her delight, confessed inadvertently that she left a physician by her bedside, and the gentleman who died of honour very liberally cursed both his folly and his fencing. While we were entertaining ourselves with these matters, on a sudden a most offensive smell began to invade our nostrils. This very much resembled the savour which travellers in summer perceive at their approach to that beautiful village of the Hague, arising from those delicious canals which, as they consist of standing water, do, at that time, emit odours greatly agreeable to a Dutch taste, but not so pleasant to any other. These perfumes, with the assistance of a fair wind, begin to affect persons of quick olfactory nerves at a league's distance, and increase gradually as you approach. In the same manner did the smell I have just mentioned more and more invade us, till one of the spirits, looking out of the coach window, declared we were just arrived at a very large city, and indeed he had scarce said so 
before we found ourselves in the suburbs, and, at the same time, the coachman, being asked by another, informed us that the name of this place was the City of Diseases. The road to it was extremely smooth, and, excepting the above-mentioned savour, delightfully pleasant. The streets of the suburbs were lined with banyos, taverns, and cook-shops. In the first we saw several beautiful women, but in tawdry dresses, looking out at the windows, and in the latter were visibly exposed all kinds of the richest dainties. But on our entering the city we found, contrary to all we had seen in the other world, that the suburbs were infinitely pleasanter than the city itself. It was indeed a very dull, dark, and melancholy place. Few people appeared in the streets, and these, for the most part, were old women, and here and there a formal, grave gentleman, who seemed to be thinking, with large tie-wigs on, and amber-headed canes, in their hands. We were all in hopes that our vehicle would not stop here, but, to our sorrow, the coach soon drove into an inn, and we were obliged to alight. End of Section 1 Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California, for LibriVox.